You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. gives you a clue that it's not just a normal angel. The angel of the Lord is Christ. Before he became Jesus, he's still God. He's Christ. It means anointed one. And he's referred to time and time again in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And he's with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And he'll be with you. Whatever fiery trial you face. Some fail to realize that Jesus has always been around. Even in the Old Testament, he's referenced and active. Today, Pastor Danny teaches you that Jesus was in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and helps you understand that Jesus didn't first arrive on the scene when he was born to Mary. He's the creator of the universe and is and has always been. Take a moment to realize this truth and be awestruck by it. Jesus has always been around and will continue to be around as the King of all creation. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel chapter 3 as he begins his message, Courage and Commitment to the God of Heaven. Daniel. Grab your Bibles. Book of Daniel. We are in chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We bit off a lot to chew last weekend. We covered chapters 1 and 2. Daniel and three of his friends have been deported from Israel into Babylon. Israel will for 70 years experience what's called the Babylonian captivity. They will be captive in Babylon, and Babylon will be ruling over the land of Israel for 70 years. It's the result of Israel's foolishness, which they seem to be very good at over the years, bowing down to false gods, going away from the true God of Israel, and uh, they get in trouble every time. And one of the things that happens in time is they're given over to foreign powers. They're given over to the enemy. So Daniel and his three friends, their names are Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. All of their names have the name of God, the God of Israel, tied to their names. Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. uh, All tied in with the God of Israel. And they get deported into Babylon. And the first thing that Babylon is going to do is change their names. They change Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, give him a name tied in with one of the great gods of Babylon. And then we know the three friends of uh, Daniel, unfortunately, better in the Bible and from the Bible as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Babylon has now changed their names, and their names now are tied with the gods of Babylon. The challenge with Babylon changing their names is 
not to allow Babylon to change their heart. You can take the boy out of the country, but hopefully you can't take the country out of the boy. I know that's true for me. I'm a country boy. I live in the city, but I'm still a country boy. You can take the boys out of the kingdom of Israel, but you can't take the kingdom out of the boys. They change their names. They try to change their diet uh, to feed them what Babylon is going to eat. And the idea is, over time, that they just forget the God of Israel, they forget their heritage, and they just become Babylonians. Well, they've underestimated these four choice servants of the Most High God. Daniel resolves not to defile himself. His three friends commit with him. God honors them, so much so that in Nebuchadnezzar's second year of his reign, that was Daniel chapter 2, he has a dream. It's a prophetic dream. He wants his astrologers and magicians to tell him what the dream was and the interpretation. And they say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. He goes, no, if you're the real deal, you can tell me the dream too. Well, God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation, tells it to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is so amazed at the God of Daniel and his three friends that he gives all of them government positions. And that was Daniel chapter 1 and 2. But now you get to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Now let me give you a little bit if you're a student. This is important though. According to the Septuagint. Now hang with me. What's the Septuagint? The Septuagint is just the Greek version of the Old Testament. Greek version of the Old Testament. According to the Septuagint, what happens in chapter 3 is in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. That's important because Daniel chapter 2 In the second year of his reign, second year of his reign, that's when he has the dream that Daniel gives the dream and the interpretation. It's a prophetic dream. Neb's in the dream. He's the head of gold. He sees this statue in his dream, this amazing statue. And the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar, but the rest of the statue represents kingdoms that will come and go until the final kingdom, rock cut out, but not by human hands. We know who that is. That's Jesus Christ. He's going to smash all the other kingdoms, set up his kingdom. He'll rule and reign forever and ever and ever. It's a message to Neb. It's a message to the world. Jesus is coming. That was in the second year of his reign. And he's so impressed by the God of Daniel and his friends that he gives them a position in the government. But now time passes. And and get this, get this. As time passes... Neb's still ruling over Babylon, and he's still ruling over Israel. He conquers more land. His power increases. His kingdom increases. And by the time 16 more years pass, well, the prophetic dream doesn't mean that much to him anymore. Chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. The gold in the dream represented Neb. Now he makes an image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet wide. I should have had a measure. I don't know how far that is, maybe 35, 40 feet, 40 feet, maybe, guess. Imagine 90 feet, 90-foot statue, 90-foot image, 
image of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the other provincial officials, uh, all the guys on the payroll to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And they're all like, wow. Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, and Neb's the one telling him what to say. Here's what he says. This is what you're commanded to do, so this is not an option. This is a command. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, in other words, as soon as the band starts playing, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Let me pause and just remind everyone that's listening, this is not some fairy tale. This is not some fictional story. This is something that really happened. This is real life. And what's happening here is life and death. You either bow or you burn. There is no in-between. Well, I don't know. Could I just hang out over here? I don't, I'm not really against you, Neb. I like you a lot, but I don't know if I want to die. Verse 7, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When it's a matter of life and death, guess what most people do? <laughs> they bow. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most people bow. If you just read verse 7, you would think that Daniel and his three friends also bowed. We don't know why, but Daniel is not in this story. He's still in Babylon. We know that because we'll see him in chapter 6, Daniel and the lion's den. We aren't told where he is, probably on a mission for the king. We don't know. Not everybody bowed. Verse 8, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You've issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, some of your employees, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Verse 13, furious with rage. Neb's mad. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve the gods, my gods, or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now he asked them the question, but I want you to notice what happens in verse 15. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Pause there for a minute. What's he doing? He's giving them a second chance. Here's your second chance. And now you can bow or you're going to burn. Not only does he give them a second chance to bow, look at what he does next. 
If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You know what he's doing? He's doing the same thing Lucifer did with the first temptation in the Garden of Eden. He's putting doubt in their minds about their God's willingness and ability to save them. Is he able? And Neb's suggesting, he's not able to save you from my hand. So what evidently has happened since the prophetic dream is as Neb has increased in power, increased in his kingdom, he's starting to think again, wait a minute, my gods are more powerful than their gods. As a matter of fact, we know exactly the state of mind of Nebuchadnezzar here if you just take a peek. Just look ahead just for a moment. We're coming back to Daniel 3. But if you look at Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, Neb goes out on his balcony and here's what he declares. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He's acting like a god. And in many people's eyes, he is a god. You say human beings can be gods? Let me just give you Psalm 82, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 82, 6 and 7. Unfortunately, the Jehovah's Witnesses try to use that section of Scripture and prove that there are created gods with a little g and that Jesus is a created God with a little g. But if you just read the text very carefully, it says in verse 6 of Psalm 82, God says, you are gods, you say you are gods, but then it says, but you'll die like mere men. Some people made Elvis a god. He's the king. No, he's not. <laughs> Jesus is the king. He may be the king of rock and roll, but he's not the king. Elvis died. Why? Because he's not a god. Did I just offend some Elvis fans? I mean, it got really quiet. Back to the text, Daniel chapter 3. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? You just love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you really know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you really want to live a committed life, you love these guys. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But... Even if he does not. Now, I don't know which one's speaking for the other two, but when this one said that, the other two are probably going, what? What do you mean, what if he does not? What do you mean, what if he does not? Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, I don't know if you understand and appreciate what's happening here. Neb gave them the jobs they have. He's the one that promoted them years ago and gave them positions in, in the government. And now they're standing and saying, no, look, you know, <laughs> we're not going to bow. That's the kind of commitment they have. Everybody else is bowed. Everybody else is bowed. Listen, when everybody else bows and you don't, everybody notices. There's no place to hide when everybody else is bowing and you're the only ones that aren't bowing. It's very clear who's the real deal and who's not. These guys are the real deal. We want you to know, O king, we're not going to bow. 
Isn't it interesting? I thought, Neb hired them, and now he's going to fire them. I thought you'd like that. That's an original. (laughs) Even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was furious. You don't talk to the king like that. Furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, I gave you your jobs. And his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. But this is where the story gets really good. Neb's mad. They're tied up. Throw them into the fiery furnace. And then, verse 24, not a fairy tale, really happened. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king, it was three. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, he looks like a son of the gods. Well, you're close. He's the son of God. It doesn't tell us specifically, but if you're a betting person, you throw your money that this is the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, you find him throughout the Old Testament. You find him receiving worship at times. That gives you a clue that it's not just a normal angel. The angel of the Lord is Christ. Before he became Jesus, he's still God. He's Christ. It means anointed one. And he's referred to time and time again in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And he's with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And he'll be with you, whatever fiery trial you face. Now, come on now. I got a PowerPoint before we're done, but this is not on PowerPoint, but most of you know it. And here's what God tells us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me say it again. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can you say that with me on the count of three? Say it loud. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I'll count to three. One, two, three. Say it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I want to give you an interesting twist on the story. And I don't know if you've thought of this in regard to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't know God was going to save them. They thought they were going to die. You know, sometimes it's easier to die for the Lord than to live for the Lord. If I literally die for the Lord, then I die, however that means. I throw in a fiery furnace, I get my head chopped off by the Muslims or whatever, however I go, you know. But once you're dead, you're alive with Jesus. Sometimes it's harder to live than it is to die. I don't think they were, but, you know, If you really had the mind like the Apostle Paul, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And they're walking around like, we're not dead. We're not even hurt. We feel fine. Matter of fact, I kind of like this fire. They didn't die. 
Because God was with them and he wanted to take them through the fiery trial because he has more for them in this life. Look at verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Neb's getting a clue. He's back to where he was 16 years ago now. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. You say, how in the world can that happen? He's God! Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree, listen to this, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into a pile of rubble. Man, has the story shifted. For no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow, they got a promotion. Now, you read the story, and you go, well, man, if i got to go in a fiery furnace, I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who doesn't? Except, again, if God had chosen to take their lives, they'd be in heaven now. They wouldn't have to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. They wouldn't have to deal with the temptations of Babylon. They wouldn't have to deal with the issues of fear that all of us face. Courage. Not just courage. Courage for the Lord. These guys. I want to give you several thoughts from the text, from the story. Did you know God wants us to consider the cost of commitment? God's not trying to lure us in deceptively, and then once he gets us, now I'm going to show him what it's really going to cost. No, 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 no. He wants us to know ahead of time. You know, every time the Israeli army was to go out to battle, in the Scriptures, God tells us that before they go out to battle, and you find it in Deuteronomy chapter 20, for the sake of time, I can't turn to all these Scriptures, but I'll tell you what's there. The priest would go out, and he would stand before the army, and he would say, okay, if any of you are engaged to be married and you're concerned that you're going to die and somebody else is going to marry your fiancé and that's where your mind's going to be in the battle, just go home. If any of you just bought a house and you haven't had time to really dedicate it and get settled in the house and all you're going to be thinking out about on the battlefield is your house and getting it settled, then if that's where your mind's going to be, go home. And then he would say, if anybody's afraid, faint-hearted, Anybody doesn't have the courage to go out and face the enemy in the name of God, just go home because your fear will affect your comrades. And we don't need anybody retreating. And God gave them an option. So if you're going to be thinking about the things of this life and that's where your mindset is, it just just go home. Just go home and do the things of this life, you know. Or if, you, if, you're, if you're afraid and not willing to step in there and face the enemy, then just go home. In Judges chapter 7, the wonderful story of Gideon, who was a coward himself, but God called him anyway to get him to face his fear. And thank God he did. Not easily, but he did. God said, go out and get your army. 32,000 Israelites come and say, we're going to fight against the Midianites with you. Well, the Midianites have an innumerable army. 
And he thinks 32,000, well, at least we got 32,000. God says, no, that's too many. You go tell those 32,000, anybody afraid and want to go home? You can go home. Guess what? 22,000 took God up on his offer. Then he whittled it down to just 300. We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Pastor Danny has been teaching through the Book of Daniel, an Old Testament book on history and prophecy. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. Just look under Resources. We also invite you to join us in our Bible reading plan. This is a great way to get into the Word every day. You can find out more under the Resources tab as well at ccfstpete.church. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us in prayer here on The Living Word. Prayer is such a powerful tool against the enemy, and there's much to pray about during these days of speculation, doubt, and fear. Perhaps there's a listener out there that's really wrestling with all of the uncertainties, and your prayers could be a way to help minister to their heart and mind, renewing their faith along the way. Would you pray for us as we create programs and for the listeners as they hear God's Word? And like Daniel, be diligent in your own faith. Don't let the things of the world sway you from the one who is holy and true. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us for Pastor Danny's continuing teaching through the book of Daniel, right here on The Living Word.